0: So we're back in the confession, and we're getting near the end. Did you notice that? It's taken us three years to get to this place, and uh, we're on Chapter 30, the very last paragraph there, and then we'll get into Chapter 31, I'm sure, today. And then it won't be long before we're at uh, the end of all things, Chapter 33. All right, let's pray father thank you for this opportunity to be together this way and to hear the confession read and to reflect upon it we pray lord you'll help us as we do so to draw from it uh, insight and understanding in christ's name amen okay so like i noted we're in chapter 30 and we're on paragraph four and this is uh entitled of church censures of church censures so let me read the fourth paragraph for the better attaining of these ends the officers of the church are to proceed by admission suspension from the sacrament of the lord's supper for a season and by excommunication from the church according to the nature of the crime and demerit of the person So as was noted last week, uh, the uh, three signs of the true church as they were identified by Calvin are uh, the preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and discipline, church discipline. Now we've come to that part of the disciplinary process where the difficult work is done of addressing a person who uh, is in sin Uh, and who we hope will respond to the discipline in the way that uh, it's intended to uh, promote. In other words, repentance and restoration, reconciliation. So um, begins with a summary, the ends, attaining these ends. Well, what are those ends? Those are the ends that are identified in the previous paragraphs. So rather than go back over those, I'll just note that and then the officers of the church are to proceed by and we have these three phases or three steps now the idea of course is that you don't want to get to the last one and you don't even want to get to the second one the hope is that the first one is sufficient and uh there's you know scriptural basis for this process but the first one is admonition so when we think about admonition what is that addressing or what is that, you know, uh, intended to, or what, what is the purpose of admonition? What is it and what's its intent? Any thoughts? You know, we live in a world where it's kind of live and let live. You know, you mind your business, I'll mind mine, right? You know, what are you getting involved in my affairs for? You know, you mind, stay in your lane, you know, all this, all this stuff. Um, and the implicit Uh, message of all that is we're all on our own, right? There's no common uh, set of standards and we don't need to keep each other accountable. That's the implicit, uh, I think, or that's the assumption that underlies that kind of live and let live dynamic. Now obviously we don't want busybodies. We don't want people going around with little, you know, magnifying glasses, looking into each other's lives, that kind of stuff. So things have to, have to come to a certain point or rise to a certain level. And hopefully, uh, be- long before any of this is going on, there is just friendly and brotherly and sisterly conversation. I remember I wrote a, a piece for the Boston Herald years ago entitled, "Amateur Police Are Quickly Disappearing. It was my, one of my early forays into like the secular sort of scene writing for a a paper so there are two papers in boston the herald and the globe this was the herald so it's like kind of like the boston's version of the new york post in fact i think the same people own both (laughs) so uh basically my point was back you know in the old days uh you know you had little old ladies who sat at home all day looking out their curtain you know at the kids and neighborhood right and calling the moms every once in a while when the kids got out of hand you know your son is climbing that fence again you know that kind of thing and you know the kid would come home and said Mrs. McGillicuddy told me you were climbing that fence again you know and that kind of thing now you know there's a, a natural um you know uh sense of of uh you know anger that kind of rises up when something like that, but there was, there was actually a social good that came out of that, right? The social good was that was a very low level of accountability in the sense that, so now basically you can get worse and worse and worse until finally you actually do something really terrible and the real you know, people who can enforce the laws have to deal with you. So it's like there's no, no accountability until you like, are like a real criminal. Wouldn't it be great if we just had, you know, some other people that were sort of like speed bumps? <laughs> you know, you're on your way to a really bad place. Um, you need to slow down, bud. You need to think a little bit uh, about what, where you're going and that kind of thing. So hopefully, you know, those early uh, encounters with authority at a very sort of uh, low level are enough to wake you up. Any thoughts on that? Or are you of of the opinion that we should all just kind of live in our lanes? I'm setting you up. Of course you're not. (laughs) Having been a reserve police officer down in California was a good teaching instrument for me. Well, the law can teach. It should.
1: And I enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe you were that little old lady who liked to look out the window. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, no, Yeah. (laughs) But I, I actually think that, you know, people like that serve an important purpose. You know, they might, they might irritate us a little bit, but I think they serve an important, you know, role. They have an important role in our, in our, in our community because they are that early, low-level kind of a, you know, sort of a accountability. Yeah, David.
2: Well, I, I just thought of, uh, no, I thought it was a long time ago, but you brought it up again. And that was the thought of, young men as they're growing up in junior high and high school how you had a few guys that would spot a bully and address him them, from them up against the locker, tell them to knock it off. And in some rare cases, it pummeled them. But usually what I found out in high school, if guys got in a fight, 90% of the time, they became friends. And yeah, very interesting. Left. So with men in particular, the speed bumps you're talking about, I think, are essential because, like you said, if you don't have somebody coming up and, you know, roughing you up a bit so you knock it off, well, you're going to get shot 10 years later at the front of your door by the cops. Yep. That seems like what's happening.
0: That's the point, and, and we want to do the same thing in church. We want to help people before they get to the place where the elders are having to suspend them from the table or excommunicate them. Um, so we need to be involved in each other's lives and, and provide, you know, encouragement. Obviously, we're praying for each other, right? Uh, So, Mark? Well,
1: just the obvious observation that um, the Scripture, the Apostle Paul, Moses, the prophets, admonish the people of God all the time. And if we're going to apply the Scripture to our own lives, um, admonition is is a requirement of it. I mean, the, the idea of staying in our lanes and not admonishing one another particularly from the from the pulpit right. is would would be almost a sign of a not a true church yeah yeah, yeah. right so,
0: so this brings up an interesting thing the fact that you brought in you know brought up the pulpit so uh, I'm interested in knowing your thoughts so for example sometimes I've been in situations where a, there's a very direct admonition and we all know who is being talked about <laughs> We're all thinking, that's just a sermon for Bob. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that. Maybe that's not quite right. You know what I'm, what I'm saying? Like, so, sometimes pastor will, just out of his own frustra- fr- frustration and anger, vent about a person or a situation or whatever. Um, now, it's not to say admonition isn't important, but... Um, there should have been an, a, a personal conversation first. And then the question is, is, is it at the level where the congregation has to know, that kind of thing. So there are a lot of things that have to be considered you know, when it comes into how, how this is all handled. Um, yeah, Jonathan.
3: My general thought on that is, but when it does, when it, when it does need to be public, it does need to be Quite direct, and that's just that's kind of matter of fact sort of thing, right? Um, I, just having been in <coughs> different organizations and having you know different leaders, you know, or something like that, try to try to address something public. That one somebody has, and I just want to share, you know, like we this is a reminder, right? We didn't, like no, like hey, okay, you know. Well, Bob, Bob Bob did this, right? He messed up and and this should be a warning to all of us, right? Like relook, you know, this, that, or the other. You know, and, and here here's the letter, here's the application. Um, um, and, and if it's if it's if it's gonna be it's gonna be done public, then then let's just be a matter of fact, like right? everybody else everybody knows what's going on.
0: Yeah, I have been a part of those. The thing about that is you need an adjudicat- uh, adjudicatory process. And and a session has to make a judgment. So It's not just, you know, uh, I heard a rumor about Bob. You know, Bob, you need to get over that. (laughs) No, we actually have to like follow a a a, a procedure. And sometimes I think this is where people can be frustrated with leadership. Because maybe some people know some things personally that other people in authority just don't know. And then you're kind of assuming everybody knows and it's not actually the case. Or maybe there's suspicion but there's been no uh, accusation. You know, and at that point, you're still kind of dealing with the fog. And you can go into the situation and say, okay, uh, Jim or whoever, uh, this is what I've heard. Then you have to think about, well, who told you? Then you have to ask the person who told you, are you willing for me to tell Jim that you told me this? In other words, (laughs) you see it gets it gets messy fast you know um, now if 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 the person who told you said no don't tell Jim I'm, I'm like I'm bound man do well, I we go and say to Jim I'm I've got suspicions <laughs> that kind of thing so you know so this gets to be a bigger you have to think about a lot of things when it comes to this stuff so You know, an accusation often requires some courage on the part of the person that's bringing it. Or maybe desperation. You know, in some situations, I've just had too much, I can't handle this anymore. Um, Now, you know, you can do things in the course of just life where maybe you see uh, somebody treat someone else poorly and it just, you know, it's just, you know, it's hard to miss and you just say, hey, Jim, that wasn't a very, uh, I think, good way to address that. You know, let, let's talk about this. So that's a very low level kind of in the course of daily life thing. But then again, the, the question here is, is, how do things rise to a certain level? Or, you know, what's the process by which they rise to a certain level where the session gets involved? Or maybe something really needs to be said from the pulpit. You think about like uh, the situation in Corinth where there's some pretty flagrant sexual sin. And the word gets back to Paul and he he says, people have told me you guys are even proud of this. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. You know, and he addresses it, you know, in a very forthright and direct way. But this is like a public scandal level thing. Um, And it's something everybody knows about. So these are the things you have to consider when it comes to the disciplinary process. And, And one of the reasons why, you know, when we think about, the, the process, what does the Lord say to us about if someone has sinned against you or you've sinned against somebody, what's the first step? Say something yourself directly to the person. You know, so you need to actually go yourself and say, you know, this is, a, this is something you've done to me, or this is something I've done to you, or this is something I've seen you do, and, uh, you know, you need to deal with that. Now, what happens if that doesn't, you know, lead to a change. Then you get another person to be a witness. And you, sit, you, you approach the, you know, so now you got more than one person. <laughs> you know, and you, and you sit down and you talk and you say, this is a situation that needs to be addressed. You need to do something about this. It's only after that that you take it up to the highest, higher levels. <coughs> so there's a lot of sort of personal uh, responsibility we all, we all share in this, in this way. Um, anyway any thoughts on on that yeah david
2: i know it's anecdotal from my perspective but it seems like when there's a lot of investment like say hospitality within a within a church or uh, let's say that you've just you've gotten to know this person a lot um, the the degree of taking the hit is uh much better than say man you've, you've never even invested in me you've never even asked me about anything and all of a sudden you're saying something about this, you know, here comes the expletive, no thanks. So there is, probably there's degrees of mitigating the super negative response,
3: probably.
0: Well, and two, we're told that love overlooks. Think about that. Remember, it explicitly says, love overlooks a multitude of sins. In other words, you, you, you can put up with a lot. Now, so th- th- this is where wisdom needs to come into play. So let's just say, you know, somebody, uh, you know, uh, hurt your feelings, right? By something it said, uh, and maybe, maybe that w- w- the way it was done, or maybe the way someone spoke to you was, wasn't entirely a- appropriate. And um, you say, okay, I, I need to confront this. And then you, you do, but you're just like, I'm not really sure this is needs to go anywhere else. You know, I, I think that this is just between me and this person, and you and you just forgive the person, even if they're not repentant. You're just like, okay, I'm not gonna, not gonna take this any further. Um, this is where you know, again, wisdom, love, long suffering. You think about the term long suffering means what? You suffer for a while. <laughs> you know, long suffering means you suffer for a while. So sooner or later, you know, you get to the the limit. You say, that's it, no more. You know. I'm not going to put up with this any longer, but if you, if you, um, well, we're told this about the Lord. You know, he puts up with a lot. Slow to anger. Right? Slow to anger. What does it mean to be slow to So this is an interesting thing. Is, is anger um, ever justified? Of course it is. Why? Injustice. See, anger is the emotion that uh, is the response that we have to injustice. So there are times when it's appropriate it's the right response now you can be too touchy right you can be too short-tempered you can be too quick to anger right that's why you know you need to be able to kind of put up with just the vicissitudes of life sometimes people just cut you off in the road okay it's not the end of the world <laughs> not time to reach for the gun you know and pull up alongside and roll down your window and threaten the guy you know, it's, you, know it, you, you, you put up with stuff um, but you know, there is a point where again, this is where wisdom needs to be uh, exercised. When is, uh, you know, when have we gotten to the end of that? You know, when is it time to confront this and say that no more? You know, uh, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of look at that verse. You know, looking overlooking uh, an offense. You know. Um, petty offenses and I think MacArthur was reading about this said that if the church has to deal with petty offenses it's just gonna look like it's it's all it's gonna
0: deal. With all these little things. <laughs> the work of the session will never end <laughs> right. yeah so people need to get some thick skins one of the things that we were dealing with in our society you know when we talk about snowflakes and all this kind of stuff is people are just too sensitive they need a little experience with Don Rickles and some of you remember Don <laughs> Mr. Warmth, <laughs> he would just walk in the room and start insulting everybody. And everybody else is laughing at the guy that's the target of the insults, right? I remember the, the Reagan's second inaugural. Don Rickles was the entertainment. <laughs> it's great, you can watch it on YouTube. And he's just going around the room, making fun of everybody. Billy Graham, you know, he's making fun of Kissinger, he's making fun of Reagan, <laughs> making fun of everybody. And they're all laughing and having a good time. Um, and everybody, you know, just kind of got it. you know, this is, this is fun, but everybody also knows there's some truth in that. <laughs> Imagine what you do with Biden. <laughs> anyway <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking of his memory issues and stuff like that. <laughs> yep.
2: And, uh, Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence stated that you know there are sufferings that you put up in general with a bad I mean, just government in general. And uh, yeah we don't
0: have a revolution every time we're unhappy with the government.
1: And that goes for everything. It's just- yeah. just yeah. go the other direction with it in terms of people like it's common that people will say whether it's in a church environment or whether it's at work or whatever, they'll say, you know, so and so is I think doing this, I don't want them to know. Yeah, I'm the one that yeah, told you. Get, or if there's any way possible, can you keep me out of this? Yeah, those are common. Oh yeah. And but the people of God were required to be witnesses to the point of throwing the first stone. Yeah. And if it was capital punishment, yeah. so I think we need to reflect upon what it means to be the people of God, to be members of the church, and so forth. That yeah. it is. There is this end of, yeah, we don't we don't wanna be on every blemish, we need to be covering those. But there's real sin that exists in our society and that exists in our church. And we need to stand up and be witnesses to those things when they're wrong.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes maybe a person who's uh, maybe very vulnerable, I'm not thinking of the person at work, I'm just thinking about sometimes people who put up with a lot of stuff just because they're afraid that if they confront it, it's gonna to lead to even more abuse or something. You know, that's when you really need to have a, 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 an advocate as somebody who can step in. There still needs to be uh, someone who uh, is bringing the complaint, but maybe that person isn't prepared to be, you know, the, the voice of the complaint, but can still be identified as the complainant. Um, I'm just thinking about situations where, you know, like everything from a bad marriage to being bullied at school, you know, where the where where a person is like, I don't want to become like, because you know the authorities are not around all the time, you know what happens when I'm with this person and no one's around? That you know you got to think about that too. So the, the, again, there's a lot of there's a lot of dynamics that come into play with these things that. You, and, and this is why wisdom is, is so important in the, in the process, where it's not just, okay, we got a checklist of wrongs and a checklist of rights, and we just kinda like sort it all out that way and just don't get into the details. Um, a lot of times, details uh, are really important to consider. Yeah, let's see.
3: Actually, my name's Bob. <laughs> uh, now I've seen
2: situations where, and what you described you know, first to the brother um, Matthew 18, right. and, and that just that just really works well in context. Yeah. I've seen situations where a person was uh, being called before the sessions, I have a discussion, and he's also afforded someone who could be a
0: confidant of yeah. within the congregation who could be like you as an advocate. Yeah. yeah, it's really, it's really important to, 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 to see that you're not on your own, that there is somebody there standing with you. Now, you might find at the end of the, of the process that your, your complaint was not uh, received or it was not, uh, the judgment didn't go the way you wanted. So, but the advocate should be your advocate all the way along and providing you with some, some counsel, and comfort, that kind of thing. so let's take a look so so first is admonition, and this is something that we all can participate in to a degree, but then the officers though have uh, the well they're doing the official thing <laughs> officers official did you notice the connection <laughs> so that they're charged with doing the official work of uh, disciplining the church so you can have a censure which is a uh, a statement made by the elders that has weight in other words it's the official admonition which is distinct from say you know your bible study friend saying you know you really should get this addressed so this is an official thing and it begins an adjudicatory process Uh, and then you know the the elders have the responsibility of following up. Is it really changing? I mean, is, there, is this just ignored? Is this made a difference? That kind of stuff. Now, sometimes you're dealing with somebody who maybe has uh, just a, an ongoing problem. Maybe somebody who's just really a, a temperamental person, just dealing with anger all the time and stuff like that and is striving to get a handle on it, but every once in a while, you know, it slips. But well, you still want to make progress, <laughs> right? You don't want to just let that go and say, oh, you know, it's just, it's just Steve, he does that, you know? Um, you know, we want to see some things change, but we need to be realistic in so far as we're dealing with human beings, and human beings don't always turn on a dime. You know, it can take a while for things to change, now, let's say things just get worse. You know, First, Steve was coming in and ranting, and now he's showing up with a gun. <laughs> you know, so now we need to do something more you know, significant. Um, so the next step is suspension from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for a season. Now, why is that significant? You know, Some people might say, I don't think that the Lord's Supper means all that much. Yeah, fine. Doesn't it imply that it does mean something? Maybe be more significant than a lot of folks assume to be suspended from it so let's let's just kind of comb that out a little bit so what is the communion service the lord's supper uh intended to uh communicate to us
3: union together in christ, yeah, together union, in with christ.
0: union with christ and union with the body so that's the thing so it's communion with Christ and the Church, so it's intended to be a warning, saying your standing in the Church uh, and your standing with Christ is in question. We've not resolved this; it's not like a final final word. Uh, but this is something that's intended to let you know that this could go to the next level. And then the next level is excommunication. So excommunication, let me take you to some scriptures uh, that I think are worth noting in relationship to this. So 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, 14, and 15. So this is uh, the Apostle Paul addressing the Thessalonians and he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. And if any man man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That's an interesting caveat that comes at the end, isn't it? Any thoughts on that? You
1: know, if, if you don't have a brother, that's very, very good.
0: If you don't have a brother? If you don't
1: have, I don't have a, sister or a brother. Okay.
0: Well, this is a brother or sister in the church. So this is a this is a person who's who's a Christian. So. The thing that's being stated here, though, is that there—it's a very serious matter to withdraw your company from somebody. Say, so I'm just not going to have anything to do with you. Have you ever had to do that, just in your personal life? Yeah. yeah. That's it. It's over. We can't. Until this is addressed, we can't play make believe. Right? You know, we're. We're we're not going to pretend like this isn't an issue. This is an issue. And so long as it's unaddressed, this is what's come between us. But uh, you don't necessarily think of that person as an enemy. Uh, It's just unfortunate. It's, It's just something that you maybe feel badly about, grieve about. But until this matter is addressed, it can't, things can't continue um and i think that's the that's the sense that we have here now this doesn't continue forever there is a thing called the final judgment right so uh ultimately we as a session are handing over all of our cases to the lord and the lord will get it right (laughs) he can sort it all out we we do so as best we can but there's that now here's even stronger language this is from 1 corinthians chapter 5 verses 4 through 5 and 13. in the name of our lord jesus uh, christ when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our lord jesus christ to deliver such and one unto satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the lord jesus but them that are without God's judgment, or uh, without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, this statement, hand that person over to Satan, that's pretty strong talk. Have you ever heard anybody use that kind of language? I don't think I've ever heard it, you know, sort of church discipline employ that kind of language. But what is it, what's being, what is it, what is being said when that language is used? It mean you want that person to be demon possessed?
1: Yep. Uh,
2: the, the only word that comes to my mind with this whole thing is, is mercy. The very fact that God would allow somebody to sin so much that he would actually employ the opposite of the church to actually be willing to destroy the flesh to save his soul just tells me that he's merciful. Oh, sure,
0: that's the long term goal, but who, who's the agent? Yeah, well, that's. Satan. <laughs> Hand him over to Satan. So what does that mean? Just,
1: you're either in the kingdom of Christ or you're in the kingdom of Satan. Right. It's that simple. If you're removed from fellowship, the fellowship of, of those who are in Christ, then there's no other place for you. Yeah,
0: there's no Switzerland. No. <laughs> there's no, like, neutral ground. And you got, you know, if, when you're undecided, I'm not sure which way to go. I think I'll just stay here in the middle. No. You know, you remember that Bob Dylan song, right? Slow train of coming. You may serve the devil. You know how he would say it. But oh, you may serve the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And then the black girls come in. Serve somebody. <laughs> but so that's it. You know, it's you know, it's one or the other. So if, if you're saying, okay, uh, you're under our care or you're not. We're going to hand you over to the other side. You're under... You think that that side will treat you better? Go for it. You know, we'll see you back here, and the, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing.
1: It, it is powerful because we do live, um, and, and we think, all of us do at times, that there's this neutral place, yeah. <laughs> and his language makes clear that there is.
0: Yeah, so in the history of the church, the term would be to anathematize to, to announce the anathema, the curse. And if you want to hear some really uh, kind of spine-tingling music, look up uh, the uh, all-bass Orthodox choir from, uh, I can't remember what country it is, but they, they're sing the anathema. And basically it's what the anathema works is they'll, they'll sing out the, the thing that the person is guilty of. And then the entire choir kicks in anathematize anathematize and i'm talking like a hundred base guys (laughs) so it it like sends like you know waves through the through the room just turn it on full volume (laughs) they didn't they don't mess around (laughs) anyway yeah well
3: the thing i thought of is they're they're,
1: you're letting them be left to their own devices yeah and Almost like the prodigal son. Because they've tasted of good, they go away, and then they realize at some point, oh, look how I'm living, yeah. and Wait. this is what I had."
2: Yeah, I think that's
0: exactly right. So, in a, in a sense, you could say that the father handed him over to Satan, and he just went and lived that for his flesh. And he gets to the end of the line, and he's impoverished and eaten swine's food and <laughs> it's like what am I doing <laughs> you know I'll go home and I'll beg for mercy on any terms <laughs> that I can have it yeah
1: how does this work with accusations when a person claims they're innocent of the accusation and they're sent through all the stages of discipline and they say if you don't repent we're gonna send you a statement they say I didn't do it I can't repent of something I didn't do How does that work out when the person there's no evidence and the person says confesses that they never committed the sin of being accused?
0: Well, unfortunately, you know, even an adjudicatory process can get things wrong. So sometimes people are innocent and go to jail or are inequitized, and in those situations, uh, you know, we again uh, believe that the Lord will set things right at some point because everything hidden will be revealed and and you know, what's said in the dark will be shot up from the rooftops, That all of that. Um, now, if a person uh, is found guilty and really is guilty but doesn't repent, but says I'm innocent, you know, um, then obviously there's a disagreement. And that's why in our particular system of government, you know, you've got a court of appeals to turn to, you know, up the, the chain and so it goes to the Presbytery and then goes to the General Assembly. Now, you still may not get, just I mean, people go to the Supreme Court and don't, you know, the, of the United States and, and they're not happy with the final judgment. Um, but, you know, we live in a world where we do the best we can and we don't know everything. Okay. Uh, The the last thing here, this last line, I'd like to reflect on a little bit, according to the nature of the crime and the demerit of the person. The nature of the crime and the demerit of the person. So again, what's being, I think what's implied here is that some things are worse than other things. Some people are more uh, blameworthy than other people. I know that we think, well, all sin is sin. Yeah, right. But at another level, we can distinguish it. Let's say, you know, um, someone came up to me and, and, and said, I can kill you or take your candy bar. Take the candy bar. <laughs> you know, in other words, killing people really is worse than stealing candy bars. So we can, we can adjudicate at that level. Now, is it all sin? Yeah, of course, yeah. But in terms of its human Im- impact, there, there's a range of, in, you know, sort of things that we can talk about as being this is worse than that. So I think that's that comes into play in this, and then also the hard heartedness of the person. Um, so I've probably told you about Jim McKenzie, right? The the crack addict that lived with Marla and me for, for a while. So he was always so repentant. I mean, he really was. He stole my bike, got you know plastered, came back so sad, so so weeping. <laughs> you know, then he stole our microwave. Same thing eventually he stole the church offering we said jim you know it's just gotta stop <laughs> and the only way we can see it stop is you gotta go <laughs> goodbye <laughs> and so you know did we you know hate him you know it's just this guy's out of control and now the good news is he's an old man now and he lives back down in trinidad and is walking with the lord um so it ended happily but there was some um and then we would think of things for him to do to sort of you know you know yeah restitution that kind of thing he was a great painter he was very fast great painter and uh you know we'd say oh we'll have you paint that house okay <laughs> and he would do it anyway other thoughts yeah jonathan
3: going back just a little bit to the personal admonition right before it's escalated to the level of uh, for instance having having a session involved um that really is there's so much opportunity for mercy there, and I think it should encourage us to be soft-hearted um, when brothers or sisters in Christ uh, come to us with that. Um, I think of that with my kids. You know, I kind of like hear something happening in the other room, and then pitter-patter, pitter-patter. <laughs> Titus did what, you know, like, okay, like, do you want me to get involved, right? Because
1: from what I can hear,
3: you're both sinning against each other, right? Or, or you, know, you you might have the opportunity to, to resolve this yourselves. Yeah, I think right. that's... and if, if you get me involved, right, I'm, I'm going to investigate this. I'm going to ask both of you some questions, right? I'll hear, right. I'll, hear, I'll hear what you have to say, but I'm going to hear what Titus has to say as well. And, you know, if, if both of you need to be disciplined, then, then both of you will. Or Right. You have the opportunity to have right. you you the
0: opportunity up. here to have neither of you discipline.
3: Exactly. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Thank God. It, <laughs> to be present right. as, a, as an right. authority figure and to, to have discipline. Right. But my opportunity to show mercy um, is going to be different than your and Titus to each other. Right. It's it's it's, it's just different.
0: Yeah. Um, well, this is an important thing to consider, too, because when so let's let, let's think about King David. Who was the guy that was standing on the side of the road when he was running, he was running out of town because of, of, the, of the revolt, Absalom, and was being taunted? What was that guy's name? That's, that's probably right. I, but anyway, so like, later on, the guy is like, sorry, because now David's back in charge, and he's asked, and like, everybody's like, why don't you just do away with that guy, and, and David says, no. no. It's a between him and me. I have the ability to do that. Now, when you're dealing with third parties, you know that's where mercy can kind of be more challenging because mercy to the guilty can be injustice. injustice right to the victim so you have to in those situations say it's, I'm, it's not me that's paying the bill here it's somebody else yeah. so i have to i have to be careful how i i go about this i need to be as objective as possible yeah. you know and try to be as fair as possible
3: and you, your kids desire that of you right i think of that the, the, see justice, love mercy. Yeah, right. Um, your your kids want. Your kids do want justice. They want
0: both. They want justice for Titus and mercy for me.
3: <laughs> but then to see to see the balance of that, right. um, and if right. there, there is opportunity to give you mercy, uh, but you know, yeah, in, in that situation where I'm adjudicated between between two of you, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm have to be just for him as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's that's where all the wisdom has to come into play. Shemia, uh, there you go. You were close. <laughs> yeah. Art.
1: Before we leave it, um, a common question that's been raised by people is, okay, you have the example of the man in sin in First Corinthians, he's being excommunicated. Um, there's not as much specific in the New Testament in terms of removing the sacrament. People. Yeah, where do we get the idea where we can do this? This is kind of how it's been put. Yeah And if that question exists, I think you know, one of the ways to address that is The Old Testament was yeah. the removal of Passover. Yeah, was a discipline particularly in Exodus 12 and particularly over not keeping the other half of the sacrament of not circumcising right. your sons and those who were in your household we well, just answered the question. It, it, was, it was clearly a declaration right. of you are not a part of the people of God if you are not living in obedience to God, and so it is. It is the first example that we have of the removal of the right. sacrament of communion for discipline. So, I, just yeah, in I case that so question existed here, yeah, and uh, I
0: think it's implicit in the in the keys. You know, you have to you. You know you have the keys, and and it's also I think implicit in the work of the judges uh, in the Old Testament. So you have the elders at the gate. You know, there's what are the what are the elders uh, meeting at the gate for? Is it like the only place to meet? No, it's because it's a symbol of being led in or or being removed from the city. So it's the the case is tried there. You're brought out of the city for trial, and if you've if you're condemned, you may not get back in. That's so. That's also uh, a framework. So when we think about the church, we don't have like a like a walled city. What are the the gates for us? Well, it's baptism and in, in the Lord's Supper. Those are the gates. Other thoughts. Well, let's let's j- jump in next to synods and councils then. Um, no, the term synod is not a term that we use in, in Presbyterian circles, uh, but uh, you know we use general assembly or the presbytery, but it's uh, in the spirit of the, of the, of the thing. Uh, so here's paragraph one. For the better government and further edification of the church, there ought to be such assemblies as are commonly called synods or councils, and it belongeth to the overseers and other rulers of the particular churches by virtue of their office and the power which Christ hath given them for edification and not for destruction to appoint such assemblies and to convene together in them as often as they j- uh, shall judge it expedient for the good of the church. So, uh, you know, one of those bodies is our own session. You know, our session gathers on a monthly basis to uh, adjudicate uh, the work of the church. Oftentimes it's pretty mundane stuff. Sometimes it rises to the level of being dramatic. (laughs) Um, Then uh, the presbytery that we belong to meets three times a year. Um, We just had a presbytery, we'll have another one in May and then we'll have another one in October, is it? Or September, I can't remember, October. So uh, we send representatives to that um, there each time, and we usually have one or two other, uh, we have one or two ruling elders that attend that. And then annually, we have the General Assembly, which is the, the big thing. This year it's gonna be in Virginia. Is it Richmond? I think it's Richmond, Virginia. Some, some, so mo- they move it around. It's usually in the south, though, because the, center of, the gra- center of gravity in our denomination is in the south. So people in the South don't like to travel, but they don't mind making us. So, <laughs> so uh, that, that, and then those different bodies come together. Now here's something to think about. How does the work of these different bodies, uh, how is it uh, constituted? I mean, where, where does it come from? So here's something that might be worth knowing for you. Our local session has the ability bring forward a complaint or make a proposal that can go to the uh, to the presbytery uh, that maybe has to do with uh, a particular matter that we'd like to see addressed maybe it would lead to the change of something in the book of church order or maybe something else maybe it's a a call for some kind of uh, statement that the church should make so at the last presbytery um, we were talking about petitioning the governing authorities on the subject of so-called gender-affirming surgery. So that was, a, that was something that we uh, acted on and there's actually a letter that's going to be sent. I think we decided on separate letters that were c- going to be sort of custom written by uh, presbyters from each state. So we're going to have one that goes to the governor of Alaska, one that goes to I think I think the, the full legislature is the idea. It goes to the full l- legislature in Washington, another one for Oregon, another one for Idaho. So that was something that kind of bubbled up from below. Went all the way to the General Assembly. They uh, pulled together some people who have some medical, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, insight. They helped to craft a statement and then it came back to the Presbytery and then we're taking it uh, and acting on it. So that's an example of the sort of thing that can happen. Any any further thoughts or comments about that? So, um, this, these assemblies convene and we've decided that um, it's gonna be on On this basis, you know, in sort of these time frames, but they can change. So there's nothing like in the Bible that says, you know, the session must meet once a month or something like that. You know, we we have to kind of think about how often this ought to uh, occur. Um, Okay, move on to the next one. It belongeth to synods and councils ministerially to determine controversies of faith and cases of conscience, to set down rules and directions for the better ordering of the public worship of God and government of his church, to receive complaints and cases of maladministration and authoritatively to determine the same, which decrees and determinations, if consonant with the, uh, to the word of God, are to be received with reverence and submission, not only for their agreement with the word, but also for the power whereby they are made as being an ordinance of God appointed there unto in his word." So this is, uh, again, in the spirit of what was, you know, I just mentioned, uh, there are things that can occur uh, in the larger uh, world that we address, but there are also things that occur within the framework of the church. So an example of that would be we had a phenomenon uh, where uh, there were uh, elders who referred to themselves as uh, gay Christians or something, you know, that was the, the term that they would use and This became a matter of dispute. This is, became something that was taken up uh, and uh, Over the course of uh, Maybe two or three general assemblies was addressed So that today, you know in the our denomination, that's not a Not a designation. That's not a way you should refer to yourself um, be like saying a murdering Christian or a stealing Christian or, you know, why is that particular designation okay? And those other ones seem ridiculous. Well, it, 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 It's not okay. <laughs> you know, this particular one you've sort of singled out to say it, it's okay seems to reflect the influence of, of sort of our, our culture, which has kind of become an anti-culture. And, we're not going to allow this to continue. Anything else maybe that you can think of as an example of uh, how a, a, maybe a controversy would be addressed or has been addressed? Now, this happens in other places too and they don't always work out the way we like. Um, you know, sometimes um, the disputes are so sharp uh, and, and significant that, that they've People in a particular body can't continue to work together. Yes, Steve.
2: The question to that case where you had um, uh, the person who wanted to refer to himself as a gay Christian and was a minister. Uh, of course, the uh, General Assembly determined that, that wasn't the right, right way to go about it. So, what happens to the guy
1: who was. Well, oh, he either leave? stops or leaves. Yes, Steve.
0: Well, or... we'd, we'd we'd discipline him if he if he kept doing it. <laughs> we said we've already decided this is not a way to refer to yourself, and you keep doing it. <laughs> so that's got to stop. Now, in this particular instance, a number of those guys who were uh, advocates for that just left on, on their own. So that's often the way these things kind of play out. Um, so that now that. You know, we don't have authority over the body that he now associates with. I'm thinking of a particular guy, uh, Greg Johnson, and uh, his entire church left the denomination. It wasn't just him. Yep, David.
2: I always thought councils, well, in every sphere of it, we're talking about the church, and when they meet regularly and properly, they give it a, political capital, in my opinion, that creates strength for them when people are in opposition of the church vision, whatever. So when they constantly meet, it's much easier to not have to do these acute confrontations. It's like when the political body, if you will, is strong and making these.
0: Yeah, and and. Yeah, these things can also kind of wax and wane. So I remember the assembly in which this particular matter became a kind of uh, real crisis. It was the Dallas uh, General Assembly. I was there. um, And there was very strong support for Greg Johnson at that assembly. It was remarkable. It was so disturbing that I had some friends who left the the denomination over it. Um, but what that did is it created, because we knew we were going to meet next year, that gave time for, you know, some people to rally to the cause. And the next assembly was very different because <laughs> a bunch of people showed up who weren't at the first one. And then they kept showing up. And I, I think that eventually uh, the people who were the advocates for this realized that they had lost momentum. So. That's how, how these things get, tend to play out and why they're important. Because if, if, if you're c- connected, uh, then, you know, what happens over there does matter. You know, we might feel like we're a little island. We've got our own thing. It doesn't matter what they're doing in, I don't know, Iowa or Pensacola or whatever, wherever we're talking about. Uh, but if we're connected in a formal way, it does. You know, because people will come and they'll have expectations, for example, that you're going to be on the same page with that other group. Now there's still room for plenty of particular sort of characters or, or personalities for churches. you know but there've got to be some things that we are all on the same page about.. Yep.
1: Well, I think that's a good example of how the government works because obviously this wrongful, sinful thinking started somewhere on a session. And spread to other sessions, into the presbytery, yeah, this all is a, the way
0: to General Assembly. Yeah, this is, well, this is an interesting thing to consider. So, I've presented the government of the of the church as a hermetically sealed thing, but it's not. So, let's think about some other ways that influence is sort of uh, sort of uh, exercised in the church. The seminaries, very important. The publishing houses, very important. So sometimes we don't think about those. We don't think about how those bodies are governed and what's going on in those bodies and how that will all affect the larger sort of church uh, with a particular denomination. Um, But they do. It makes a big difference. And this is fun. I was just with Scott Yenner yesterday. Scott Yenner is uh, over at Boise State, and he's sort of notorious. He's one of the guys that... Uh, Ron DeSantis is brought in to help sort of clean house at one of the state universities there in Florida. And he's like, you know, like an enemy of the New York Times and the Washington Post. They just hate his guts. He's a great guy, by the way. We're going to have him here uh, probably in in late October. (laughs) But uh, he's been brought in not just by Florida, but he's been brought in by Arkansas and I think Indiana. So a number of states are starting to, to bring him in with a bunch. He's got an organization where he, basically it's a clean house organization. We're going to come in. We're going to fire everybody on the board. We're going to fire the president. We're going to start from scratch, that kind of thing. And he, what we were talking about is churches right, and church-related schools. He said, you think we need this? Uh, I said, you bet we need this. <laughs> you know, I, I can think of dozens of Christian colleges that are just like, ah, uh, tinker- teetering on the brink and need a real... Uh, House cleaning. Uh, But, you know, how do you do that? You know, that was what kind of thing we were thinking about. Because it affects us. So let's say, I'll give you an example. So Gordon College. Gordon College is an historically Christian school on the North Shore of Boston. Had strong support. Had historically great people at it. It was always kind of a Wheaton College wannabe. But it was still pretty good. And um, we sent uh, some kids from my church there. And they got messed up really messed up because of the faculty and uh the students the, the fellow students um i have a friend his name is marvin daniels and in he was he's a black guy he's the head of an organization in kansas city but they brought him in to address uh, the student body in chapel and he um, in the course of his you know his his sermon just as simply affirmed the biblical standards uh, of marriage and sexuality, and he was canceled immediately. That's where things are in many of these schools. Rosaria Butterfield was protested at Wheaton. I remember when she went to speak in chapel, there were people with signs and stuff outside. This is the same place where Jim Elliott went to school. You know, so things can go uh, wacky uh, and then that wackiness bleeds back into your local church. So the kids come home from Wheaton, or the kids come home from, from Gordon. Uh, and what are they doing in your church? Well, they're trying to promote a particular agenda. So we, we have to be you know, aware of the various ways in which influence flows. Anyway, as I like to say on that happy note, <laughs> But it basically just means that we need to be ever vigilant and be aware of where these influences uh, come from. It's not just TikTok, it's not just your phone, it's not, it can actually be the school that you went to 30 years ago which was solid those days but isn't anymore. We really need to check out Multnomah. Is it what it used to be? Probably not. Why not? Where's the negative influence coming from? and if if we don't exercise some so here's, here's one here's a bit of good news um, calvin college in michigan had drifted left in a really dramatic way uh, i knew some of the faculty there and they were some of the freakiest kind of creepiest people i'd know <laughs> and i was like it was a solid place at one time don't get me wrong it was a really solid place at one time but it it had gotten to a bad place and to the credit of the CRC, Christian Reformed Church, they disciplined it. Created a huge stink where they basically condemned and they said, you know, they called for the ouster of any, any faculty member who wouldn't submit to the discipline of the church.
1: Yep. Um,
3: I recently read a quote that said, in a place where everyone agrees, nobody is thinking very much. Do you, What do you think of that? Do you subscribe to that? Where there is, it brings to mind where there is sandpaper, iron sharpening iron, and we're always talking about these ideas and bringing these ideas up, and maybe everybody doesn't agree all the time. That's healthy.
0: Well, I think, uh, yeah, it's a huge topic, and you just brought it up at the very end of the class. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think there's just simply a fact. We don't always agree. I mean, it's just a fact. Even in situations where it appears that there is no disagreement, that's often just sort of a veneer, you know. Uh, but then the question is how significant are the disagreements? Are they fundamental, you know, those sorts of things. So, you know, our, our particular church uh, is, uh, you know, part of a presbytery where we're not in agreement with some of the things that other churches are doing, uh, but that they're not, at a, the disagreements are not at a level that would call for disfellowship. They're just like, we just don't think that's the best way to go about it. We, we, we disagree with your judgment on that matter, that kind of thing. And they feel the same way about us. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, Mark.
1: Just the, this whole section that we're in here, um, the whole idea of non-denominational churches, uh, and you can go to non-denominational churches that will say that they're confessional. And yet this whole area is providing a polity yeah that's, that's broad with that submission to that polity yeah. is required yeah. and so they in that sense they're they can't be in agreement with
0: uh, yeah when i when i think about a church like that i think what do they do with the jerusalem council okay if you're thinking this is all extra biblical no just read Acts chapter 15. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly what goes on in that passage. It's the discipline of the churches. It's the, what are we gonna do about circumcision and the Gentiles? We're hammering that out and there are disagreements. Anyway, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, that uh, we can gather this way and, and reflect on important concerns. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to uh, serve you well in your church and to um, participate in it and uh, adjudicate uh, as best we can with your help uh, often very challenging matters. In Christ's name, amen.